Let's hear God's word as we turn to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're reading from verse 1. Here Paul's taking us right into the heart of God's way of salvation. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There are many misunderstandings of the Christian faith abroad today. There may once have been a time when we could assume that most people, at least in a community like this, knew what Christianity was about. They might not uh, believe it, but they knew what uh, the Christian faith was about. I think those days really largely are gone. Uh, to, to some people, the Christian faith would be thought of simply as another set of moral principles, good advice as to how to live your life. Do this, do this. And in the perceptions of many people, of course, it's don't do this and don't do that. That would be how they would imagine the Christian faith to be. Others would regard it as a set of religious rituals to be performed, going to church, doing uh, certain things, not doing other things, uh, in order to get on the right side of God. That would be their perception of what Christianity is about. Maybe a set of moral principles, or it might be uh, a collection of religious rituals that people think uh, will please God. And there are many people, I think, if we were to go out and just ask a random selection uh, of people what they thought about Christianity, those are the kinds of answers uh, that we might well get. And of course, if that is the case, then people look around at the other options that are on offer today, other recipes for moral living or healthy living emotionally. And they see there are plenty of options, as it were, on the shelves of the religious supermarket. So why would they give Christianity any more attention than any other offering? Or if it's a set of religious rituals, well, there are plenty of alternatives. What's so special about the things Christians do? Why bother? And again, that would be a very common attitude. You can find something just as good elsewhere. 
But we know, of course, that those kinds of views of the Christian faith are profoundly wrong. We're not coming offering another set of moral do's and don'ts. Though, of course, the Christian faith has implications for how we live. We're not offering a a nice set of religious activities. Though an element of that, of course, is involved in the Christian life. Christianity at heart is about salvation. About the solution to what is wrong with us spiritually, our sin. It is radical. It goes to the roots of human life and who we are. It is transforming. It is about salvation. It is the only way to deal with our disobedience and our separation from God. The Christian faith, the gospel, comes to men and women, not first of all telling them there are certain things you have to do in order to be right with God. The gospel comes to men and women And it tells them, first of all, about what God has already done in order to save sinners. That's why the gospel is good news. If it's a message that comes to people and tells them you have to do this and this and this, and they're not able to do it, that isn't good news. That's a recipe for despair. The gospel comes and it tells people first and foremost about what God has done to deal with our sin. The gospel tells us that what we could not do and what we would not do, God has done. And so it truly is good news. I want to turn Uh, this morning to words that we found in Ephesians chapter 2. I want to focus on the way of salvation to the heart of the gospel. Now this is something you may be very familiar with and yet you may know about it without ever actually having accepted it for yourself. And even if you have The gospel is something that Christians should keep coming back to. There's a danger sometimes that as Christians, we think to ourselves, well, the gospel is for the beginning of my Christian life, and now that I'm saved, I don't need to think about that. I move on to other things. But the truth is that as Christians, we need the gospel every day. And it is right and it is good and it is healthy for us to keep coming back to the basics of the gospel, to remember what God has done for us and to have it clear in our minds so that we can explain it simply to other people. If somebody asked you, what's the gospel? What do you believe as a Christian? Would you be able to tell them in a very clear and simple way what the heart of the gospel actually is. 
I believe we will find the heart of the gospel in the verses we're looking at today in Ephesians 2. And we're focusing our thoughts on verses 8 to 12. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And we're thinking very simply and in a basic way of the way of salvation. And we see several vital truths here in these verses. And the fundamental truth on which everything else depends is that salvation is by grace. Salvation is by grace. And we never outgrow this wonderful truth. We never reach a point where we don't really need that anymore. We need this every day. Salvation is by grace. There's that wonderful statement of the gospel in verse 8. It is by grace you have been saved. This was the great rediscovery of the Reformers about salvation. The truth that salvation is by grace alone. Now, Roman medieval theology would talk about grace. You can find a lot about grace in the medieval theologians before the Reformation. And they would say salvation is by grace. But the Reformers understood that it's by grace alone. It's not grace plus something else. We'll come back to that later. Salvation by grace alone. That precious truth at the heart of the gospel had been obscured for centuries. And so by God's enabling, the Reformers brought it out again and, as it were, dusted it off that it was seen in its biblical glory. Salvation is by grace, grace alone. What is grace? We can use the word and yet not be terribly clear on what it means. What's grace? What's the Bible mean by it? What does Paul mean by it here? Grace is the love and the favor of God shown to people who deserved the very opposite. It's shown to people who deserve condemnation, eternal condemnation because of their sin. And it's to people like that that God shows grace. And we don't ever want to lose sight of this fact that it is not simply love and favor shown to people who deserve nothing. It's shown to people who deserve the very wrath of God and his eternal condemnation. And it's to them that God shows grace. If it's shown to people who deserve it, it isn't grace, you see. It's it's something else. It's not grace if it isn't shown to people who deserve grace the wrath and curse of God. 
It's God's love and God's favor to those who actually deserve his judgment. That's grace. What does grace look like? How could we describe it? What form does God's grace take? Well, there are so many answers we could draw uh, out of the scriptures, but a couple uh, of vital texts that will tell us. Very familiar words of John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's what God's grace looks like. It's the giving of his own son for the salvation of sinners. That's grace. It couldn't be anything else. Or Romans 5 and verse 8. Here's another great gospel verse. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. Isn't that amazing? Never lose the sense of amazement. While you were still a sinner, in the eyes of a holy God, Christ died for you. That's grace. That's love and favor to people who deserved the death that Jesus died. Who deserve the wrath of God. God's grace then gave his son. God in grace has provided a savior. And that savior is the son of God himself. The second person of the trinity. Having taken our nature. Sharing our humanity. Body and soul. Incarnate as we say. A savior dying to take the sin and the punishment of his people. All the guilt, all the wrath that they deserve, the Lord Jesus Christ has taken in our place. Sins can be forgiven only because God in Christ has taken the penalty that's due to us. Titus 3 and verse 4, the words we thought about not long ago. We read there, the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. And they appeared in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. That's what grace looks like. It looks like Christ. It looks like Christ crucified for sinners. That's what the grace of God has provided. And if salvation is by grace, it's ultimately God's work. It is not our work, it's God's work. We talk sometimes about sovereign grace. That's a good phrase. Because it reminds us that salvation from beginning to end is the work of a gracious God. And if it's God's work, it is utterly secure. That's a tremendous assurance to have. If salvation is God's work, it can't fail and it can't be lost. God will finish the work 
He started in grace. It is by grace you have been saved, Paul says. It is a work that God has begun and he will keep his people safe. And so to know that salvation is by grace, by God's sovereign grace, gives us tremendous assurance. This isn't something that might come or go, that you might have today and not tomorrow. If salvation is by grace, God will keep you safe and God will not let you go. Salvation is by grace. That's the foundation of everything else. But then Paul goes on, secondly, to tell us that salvation is through faith. Salvation is through faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is the the means by which sinners like you and me receive the gift of salvation. Salvation has been provided in Christ. But how do we as sinners actually receive it? It doesn't come to us automatically. Everybody is not saved just because there's a Savior. We have to receive it for ourselves. How do we do that? And Paul tells us we receive the gift of salvation by faith. Our response to what God has done is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is received not by anybody and everybody, but only by those who exercise faith. You remember the prison warder coming in, desperate to Paul in Philippi in the jail in Acts 16. What must I do to be saved? And Paul's answer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Salvation is through faith. But again, we have to ask, what's faith? Here's another word we need to be clear about because faith is used in all sorts of ways. And sometimes it means very little. So what does Ephesians 2 mean by faith? Well, faith in the Bible, the faith that receives salvation involves the whole person. How we think Involves our minds. How we, we feel, our hearts, we might say. Our feelings are involved in faith. What we decide involves our will. The whole person is involved in the faith that Paul writes about here. We need to know the basics of what the Bible says about the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Uh, now, it doesn't mean we could pass a theological exam. If that was the case, who would be saved? Well, we need to know the basics. Who is Jesus as God and man? What has he done for salvation? His sacrifice on the cross, his glorious resurrection, the basics of the gospel. We need to know those things. We need to accept that they're true, of course, because You could hear about these things, you could know about them, but not actually accept that they're true, that they happened, that this is the case. We need to know these things, we need to accept the truth 
of what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ. But you could do all of that and still not be saved. Because also an essential element in the faith that receives salvation is trusting in Christ as our Savior and Lord. The faith that saves involves commitment of your life to Christ, trusting in him, giving up any idea of saving yourself or somehow being good enough for God and trusting Christ, leaning, as it were, your whole spiritual weight on him, committing yourself to him. And if that commitment and that trust is not there, it isn't the faith that Paul writes about here. Salvation is through faith, but it's that faith that commits to Christ and trusts in him for salvation. Salvation is through faith. Remember, our faith is not some kind of contribution that we make to salvation. As if God does his bit in Christ and I do my bit in believing and you put them together and you're saved so that I make a contribution. Paul doesn't leave us any room to think that believing in Christ contributes to salvation. He says, this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. All of salvation is God's gift, and our faith in Christ is the gift of God. Even our faith doesn't originate in us. It's the result of the gracious working of God's Holy Spirit. Why do two people hear the same sermon, the same gospel call, and one of them goes away totally indifferent, perhaps even hostile, and another one believes in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why those different responses? And the answer that Paul gives us, that the whole of Scripture gives us, is that God has enabled the one who believes to exercise that faith. It's God's gift. So we can never pat ourselves on the back and say, I did well to believe in Jesus. When someone is converted, we don't go to them and congratulate them on the wise decision they made in believing in Jesus. It is not to their credit or our credit that we believe. It's the gift of God. He works in us by the Holy Spirit in such a way we do freely believe in Christ. We're not compelled. We're not forced. We willingly trust in Christ. But it's because God has given the faith. We have an example of that in Acts 16, for example, with Lydia, the the, the purple trader. And we're told there, the Lord opened her heart to respond. That's why Lydia believed and others didn't. The Lord opened her heart and she believed the gospel. And that's true for each one of us here today who's saved. You believed in the Lord Jesus because God opened your heart and gave you the gift of faith. You don't contribute anything to salvation. Salvation is by grace. Salvation is through faith. 
Thirdly, building on that, salvation is not by works. Salvation is not by works. Paul draws a sharp contrast here, doesn't he? He's spoken about through faith that isn't of ourselves, the gift of God. And then he stresses not by works, verse 9. If we are to receive God's gift of salvation, it must be in God's appointed way, through faith. We can't come to God and say, well, Lord, I will be saved by this means, or if I do that, or if I contribute. If we're going to be saved, it'll be in God's way, or not at all. It'll be through faith and not by any other means. The faith principle excludes works. And we mustn't be in any doubt about this or any questions in our minds about it. The faith principle excludes works. The two can't be combined. You cannot have a salvation that is partly by faith and partly by works partly by grace and partly by our effort. It simply isn't possible. Grace and works cannot coexist. Paul writes about that in Romans 11. He says in verse 6, If by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, Grace would no longer be grace. Don't miss the point Paul makes. If you somehow can add works to being saved, you've destroyed grace. It isn't grace any longer. You cannot combine the two. You can't combine some grace and some works. You can't combine a vast amount of grace and a little bit of works. A little contribution you make cannot be done. God will not have it. And Paul gives us God's reason for excluding works from any contribution to salvation in verse 9. So that no one can boast. There is nothing in salvation for which we can take credit. Absolutely nothing. No contribution uh, that allows us to claim some merit so that we could somehow say to God, well, Lord, you did most of it, but here's a little bit I did. There is no little bit you did. You're saved by grace through faith. It is not by works. It is not by anything you've done. As we've said, it's it's not even your faith that contributes. It's not a work. You see, it's dangerously easy to turn our believing in the Lord Jesus, our faith, into a work. That that's the bit I contribute. It isn't. It's God's gracious, loving gift. 
And yet in the hearts of many sinners, maybe most, isn't there a desire to make some contribution to salvation? Such that there's, there's something I did. Uh, we're, we're built that way. Aren't there so many people, you give them a gift, what do they do? They want to give you a gift back. Even things up. Uh, they don't feel they owe somehow. And you can treat salvation like that. God gives you this, well, there's something you've got to contribute. Because it's a tremendously humbling thing to accept there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can contribute to your salvation. But that idea that somehow there's a little bit I did is really rooted in sinful pride. And God will not allow room for pride. Salvation is his work. And it's all to his glory. That's the gospel. It humbles us. It humbles the sinner. But it exalts God. All the glory belongs to God. That's the gospel. Salvation is by grace. Salvation is through faith. Salvation is not by works. But finally, salvation results in works. Salvation results in works. Works are decisively excluded from contributing to salvation. We've spelled that out as Paul does. But Paul also shows us that good works by us follow on from receiving salvation. We are God's workmanship, he says. Salvation entails a complete transformation of the sinner. We are changed. We are being remade by the Lord. The the twisted, marred image of God in us is being restored as God by his spirit works in us. We're being transformed into the same image with ever increasing glory, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And in particular, he tells us here, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In union with the Lord Jesus, we do good works. Lives of willing obedience to God's law. Not compelled, not forced, not objecting and reluctant. Jesus tells us in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And this is our responsibility as God's people to perform by grace, by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, to perform the good works The good works, as Paul tells us, that God prepared in advance for us to do. Amazing thought. That the good works you do in whatever aspect of life, God prepared them for you to do. They don't come as a surprise to the Lord. He prepared them. And by his enabling, you do them. But you must do them. He doesn't do them for us. As God's workmanship, 
we do the good works that express our love for God, our gratitude. If we love the Lord, we'll keep his commandments. We will do the good works that tell the Lord and tell the world we love him. We're devoted to him. We're saved. There's the evidence of salvation. The Christian does good works, not in order to be saved. Never for a moment think that. But he does the good works because he's been saved. Remember that gospel truth. Works never contribute to salvation, but oh, they flow from it. Change lives as the Spirit indwells us. As the Lord enables us to do the good works he prepared even before he made the world to show our love, to show our gratitude, our devotion to the Savior. This is what the gospel really is. Do you believe it for yourself? You take this as God's saving truth for you. If you haven't yet trusted in this Lord Jesus Christ that Father has provided, you need this Savior. Trust in the Lord for salvation. And if you've received this salvation, praise God. Rejoice in it. Delight in what God has done for you. And by his enabling, do the good works he has prepared for you. Salvation is by grace. Salvation is through faith. Salvation is not by works. Salvation results in works. May we show our love for the Lord in willing obedience, in joyful good works for his glory.